0: Well, cups up, Eric, you look very comfy right now, I think. And I don't know. Are you comfy?:
1: Cups up, E.B. in the house. I am comfy. I just got done really excited about a lot of Sandy and Steven Smith this week and just finished participating in a documentary for Steven with CBS News. And you know, one thing I was saying to David is, the focus is on Steven right now, which is so unique. Because over the past two years, and you guys have been doing it much longer than me, but Stephen's always been like one-fifth of the cake. So if there was a story, a documentary, Stephen was one-fifth of it. There was the boating accident. There was the murder. There was Glory Satterfield and, you know, another piece. But all that's done, you know, Alex is Alex. He's in jail. And we'll have those stories you know, pop up when the next trial is scheduled. And we'll talk about Alex and Gloria's case is done. And the financial crime cases will be when they come up. So this is a time when it's just about Stephen, and it's kind of nice. And to, they're doing a special just on Steven. That's great. And, you know, again, you know, I talked about it earlier in the week, but for you too, keeping it to the forefront, I'm not sure it would have been one fifth of the cake for the last three years.
0: Well, I think that's awesome. It's about time that Stephen gets the spotlight. So I'm happy to see it. One of the questions that we have is what do you think is going to be needed for this case to crack wide open? You announced on Tuesday that this case is now considered a homicide and not a hit and run. It's going to be investigated as a homicide. Maybe let's just start by talking about. Why that's important, not just from the perspective of this is something that Sandy's family has wanted for a long time, but from the perspective of how this case gets investigated from this point forward.
1: The burden now is on the state. For Chief Keel to come out and say it's the official position of the state that this was a homicide and that Stephen was intentionally killed and he said we're going to put the manpower on it, he's got to produce The burden is on the state to show we're going to attack this. Are they going to attack it with the same tenacity that they did with Alex and produce the same results? Now, we're going to all of us run our contemporaneous investigation and we're going to hold them to accountability. But I think this puts a big burden on the state because now. If you are admitting that you are changing your position after eight years on how somebody died, that's not good enough. You actually have to now, you know, there's the what, the why, and the who. What happened, we're going to deal with that, and we'll be able to show when we do the exhumation. The who. The state will have to find out who did that. I mean, we don't—we're not in the business of solving crimes. Although, you know, uh, Mandy is the best crime solver in the world. She's a true crime person, so she'll come up with a theory, a working theory, and Liz, you'll research and research it to the nines and make it happen. But somebody's going to have to be targeted. And you ask me, well, what's going to happen? Somebody's going to have to talk. And I think what it is is on a piece of evidence from a phone something's going to give up on a post death phone call or there may be something on Steven's phone from a pre death phone call that maybe there's a dispute or maybe somebody f- was afraid that Steven was going to out their relationship and that person was fearful that they would be outed for having something to do with Steven so i think it's going to be a break where somebody talks In conjunction with technology, what do you think, Mandy?
2: Yeah, I mean, technology I worry about because it's been so long and it's just harder to solve a crime. after. It's it's harder to get any sort of evidence when this much time has passed. In my heart, in my instincts, I've just always thought it's just a matter of one person that is... So tired of hearing Stephen's name on the news and tired of see, seeing his picture everywhere and, and just and knows what happened and just finally does the right thing.
1: Ronnie said the same thing. He was asked, what do you think it's going to take? And Ronnie said, guilt. Somebody who's just tired of carrying that guilt of knowledge is going to either through a lawyer, try to get some kind of immunity or through an anonymous tip, get that guilt off their heart. That They they may not be have been a participant, but they have knowledge and they're going to get that guilt off their heart. I can't believe you said that, Mandy.
0: In the cold case committee, that is a lot of what we talked about is that people's consciences are one of the biggest factors when you're looking into those cases again. So detectives or investigators will often play up to that when they're questioning people who might be of interest. So basically, is there anything that you want to unburden yourself of and think of the family? And these are all just very common techniques when it comes to solving cold cases. So you guys are right that that is going to be huge. But I guess I want to understand a little bit about the private investigator angle of this. Eric, do you know yet how that's going to work?
1: Yes. We have hired Dr. Michelle Dupree, to run the forensic angle of it, she is helping us select, it looks like it's going to be a a coroner from New York City who has tremendous experience in exhumation of bodies, and then, you know, that have been buried over a long period of time. We already discussed that there's plenty of people that can do autopsies on somebody that died yesterday, but it takes a real special skill set to do it on a body that has been buried for a long time. And We are hiring, we're interviewing two investigators next week, early next week, who we want to look at the file for the first time. We don't want an investigator that calls us on the phone and says, you know, I've been following this all along and I've looked at this and this. We want a real investigator that that comes as if Stephen died yesterday at four o'clock in the morning and now gets the file and comes on the scene. What would he do?
0: That's actually, that is kind of a dream come true to have people treat this as brand new.
1: Well, let me ask you in your experience, because you guys are cold case people, are there different types of investigators? Just like I just told you, there's different types of uh, pathologists who are really good at fresh bodies versus, you know, bodies that have already decomposed. Is there investigators who are better being the second guy? coming back and starting an investigation as opposed to, you know, somebody that's been knee deep in it. What are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah,
0: there, there are, but unfortunately it's not, I mean, maybe there are private investigators out there that you can hire who do specialize in cold cases, but really investigators are just local to whatever agency they belong to. So some are better at it than others. And that's the unfortunate thing because I think with the golden state killer What you saw is you saw people teaming up. There's no national expert on cold cases that you can sort of turn to, although there are people who might specialize in certain aspects of it, like genealogy or what have you. But one thing that's going to interest me in this is uh, what the the highway patrolmen who are involved say and who the first responders were, what they will say. And then also Sheriff T.C. Smalls. I would be interested to hear what he has to say, especially after being put on the stand in Ellick's trial and...
1: He was called a liar.
0: Well, basically, yeah. So I would be really interested to see what he has to say. And do you guys have plans to talk to them as well?
1: Yeah. I Again, you guys know so much and I'm relying on a lot of it to come from you over the next couple of weeks. I've only been involved since last Thursday. And since last Thursday, it's been, you know, a press blitz. But yeah, I, I plan on uh, picking your brains as I did this morning. You know, I consider you guys to be incredible paralegals thinking like almost lawyers and you guys have been eating and sleeping and dreaming about this for four years. You know, you could just sit there and tell me what needs to be done and who we should talk to. All these names, you know, are new to me, so This is your dream that you wanted, Mandy, right? This is what you wanted. Tell me how you want it to unfold, how it would look.
2: I mean, I think pairing with SLED is huge, and that's done. But really, really hammering down on every single person that is named in that investigation file. And they need to know that this isn't going away. Because I think that all of these people have been living under this. Like, this is just a wave of people that are just going to move on and blah, blah, blah. They need to know it's it's not, it's going to happen. But the matter is, is like, who comes to police first and who gets the, the deal at this point? These people need to talk and just continuing to apply pressure and really questioning all of these, every single person and like, Aaron Presnell, she owes the public an explanation as to why she made that ruling and what was going
1: on. I mean, is she, in a way, not a laughing stock? I don't want to be disrespectful, but it wasn't she just called out on the schoolyard by Chief Keel by what he said because Chief Keel says it's officially a a homicide,
2: and he said in his press release that she ruled that it was a. I mean, basically, he he said that she was wrong in his press release, which is unusual.
1: She certainly had a serious dispute with Officer Thomas Moore, right, who was pretty firm in advocating, hey, this wasn't a highway fatality here. I wouldn't be feeling good if I was Dr. Presnell right now, would you?
2: It says on July 8th, Sled crime scene agents attended the autopsy of Stephen and Smith, where medical examiner Dr. Aaron Presnell concluded Mr. Smith died from being struck by a motor vehicle. Due to the medical examiner's determination, the Hampton County Sheriff's Office requested the South Carolina uh, Highway Patrol to investigate Mr. Smith's death. So basically, that is them saying that's why Sled wasn't investigating this to begin with. And they aren't. They're pointing the finger at Aaron.
0: Do you remember, Mandy, when we spoke with? An investigator who's the source of ours and he looked at the autopsy and he was explaining to us that a lot of times medical examiners are getting their guidance when there's an unattended death. Obviously, they're they're not just feeling under the armpits like what's his face, but they're um, getting information, context clues, right? so when the coroner is telling her and and that's what it seemed like was happening when he's telling Dr. Presnell that this was a car wreck he was found in the middle of the road that's what we were told about what was probably what probably had led to her conclusion in that um she's going with the guy from the scene and what he's saying he thinks happened right
2: right but like i i need to look back in the files because i just don't remember anybody besides her believing that even the coroner said he didn't agree with that yeah after the fact though because i think he yeah it was all really weird but yeah i mean i i I just think for me to feel better about that statement and for me to feel better about this whole process i would just like them instead of us reading between the lines of like are they are they questioning that like they just need to say we're investigating the investigation to see what happened i like I would love to say that. Yes, I agree.
0: Mandy, one thing you mentioned I wanted you to go back with is you said that the person who comes first
2: gets the plea deal. Can you just explain that a little bit?
1: Yes, that's what I was going to talk about.
2: Really? Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's fun. Eric, take it away because I don't really know anything.
1: (laughs) You don't want to be last in line. Now that they've heard that somebody's coming, whether it's Liz, Mandy, and Eric, or it's SLED, they know that somebody's coming. So if you're out there, you want to make sure you get there first, because if you're third or fourth and you're not the first guy talking, you're looking and really getting pistol whipped. I'm just saying you, you got to be the first guy because you got to believe that somebody is going to talk and you better be the first person.
2: Yeah. And I'm excited to see that
1: go down. I want to <laughs> ask you a technical question, uh, ladies. In preparation for my interview today, I looked at the death statements, the certificate of death, and there was one on July 15th, 2015, and then there were two in 2017. The first one was an amended one and a second amended one. Why were there three? Why were there two done in succession in April of 2017? by Washington, the coroner. Tell me what your thoughts are about that.
2: I think first of all, at the very least, it just shows how egregious and sloppy this entire investigation was i mean the what did we see there were several things that wrong with those with those death certificates the first one so the first one that was issued
0: said that he was hit in a hit and run and hit by a mirror right Hmm. right and then but it said um pending investigation pending investigation and i mean you and i were laughing at this mandy because obviously there's some egregious misspellings in that
2: And typos. There was typos everywhere. Like, it said the wrong date for when Steven was injured. It said date of injury was wrong. The date of death was wrong on one of them. Like, it was just so sloppy. And I don't know if that's, like, if if we looked at all death certificates, if, like, we're going to find mistakes in all of them. But that's crazy. Why in
1: 2017 did they revisit it?
2: I think it's because the case... Went cold and kind of ended in 2016. And I, I need to ask Sandy again because she remembers why exactly. But I, I do know for the third one, Sandy was like, This part is still wrong. It was either the date of death or date of injury. And yeah, there was something still wrong. And like, nobody should ever have to ask for. Freaking four death certificates. That's absurd and crazy, just for because it's very basic information on there. Right. And for you to have three wrong ones is terrible and sloppy and awful. Well, additionally,
0: like when you read the death certificate, the original one, it's very glib and First of all, like you said, manner of death, pending investigation. Cause of death part one was blunt head trauma. And then it's in parentheses, probably, which I think is a weird word to have on a death certificate, pedestrian, uh, because that's misspelled, in motor vehicle crash, comma, possibly struck by side mirror, no close parentheses, which frankly bothers me, no space after the comma. (laughs) It's so annoying. But this was issued on July 14th, 2015, so a full week after. And then it said how how the injury occurred. It said sub w a apparently misspelled hit by a moving vehicle possible <laughs> a truck.
2: So that is this death certificate. Get-
1: that gives you a lot of comfort, doesn't it?
2: Right. Yeah. Like if you're Sandy Smith reading that you're like these idiots like Great. <laughs> oh, <for sure. laughs> yeah. And this is your thing,
0: right? This is so the second one was issued on April 6, 2017, and manner of death is could not be determined. They changed his date of death to July 7th um, from July 8th. Cause of death. Was blunt head trauma, motor vehicle crash, pedestrian versus vehicle. How the injury occurred was sub, was apparently hit by a moving vehicle. And then special instructions. It says the cause of death was amended by the coroner. The manner of death was amended by the coroner. The date of death was amended by the coroner. Injury info amended by the coroner. So, and that's Ernie Washington. So, Days after that, so 14 days, two full weeks, we have a second amended coming out because the presumed date of death is now. So they had to change the date of death again. So he changed it from July 8th to July 7th, and now July, He's changing it back to July 8th.
1: It wasn't so serious. It would be a joke.
0: It, it, I guess it's comical if it's not your kid. I mean,
1: you fail three times, end of an inning. I mean, this is a woman's son, and she's trying to get the death certificate to be accurate
2: and how could you not be suspicious of that investigation if like i mean starting there yeah right yeah starting there you're like uh maybe it le- like if these guys can't even say the the day that he died and the other thing couldn't they have just said unknown yes <laughs> i guess so but could not be it, determined it's very
0: final right it's you know don't even try
2: it i yeah and i also thought it was weird that they they included the mirror like they went into the details about the mirror theory on the first one on the original one right and it's like that's too specific like right that is just so bizarre and impossible <laughs>
1: Have you seen death certificates before, guys, that they just don't know the cause of death and they do write unknown? I, I don't, I haven't seen a lot. Tell me about that. I haven't seen a lot. It's
2: one of the five manners of death, right? Yeah. There's accident, homicide, unknown, suicide, and natural.
1: So it's okay they say unknown and that they just can't figure it out, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. That's what they do. I know I've seen it in other cases, but um, a a lot of times they can't figure out if it's like a suicide or an accident.
3: We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. I love that BetterHelp believes in making professional therapy accessible, affordable, and convenient, so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. BetterHelp offers access to licensed, trained, experienced, and accredited psychologists, marriage and family therapists, clinical social workers, and board-licensed professional counselors. They specialize in helping you cope with stress, anxiety, relationships, addiction, grief, and more. After you sign up, they match you with an available therapist who fits your objectives, preferences, and the type of issues that you are dealing with. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash C-O-J today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash C-O-J.
2: With a Stephen Smith case, I think that what's so crazy to me is how... It's been really interesting this week because it's very clear that a lot of agencies have just found out about this case, which is great. And they're going through the motions of going through it. And Liz, have you seen the headlines that are like, why did Stephen Smith have a rape kit? Stephen Smith had a rape kit. And it's like all of the questions that we had years ago. And we're like, but it's kind of validating to see that everybody else is seeing how just insane this entire case file was. It's the wildest ride that like,
1: I had to talk about that and that was a a difficult topic to talk about like a rape kit and the the answer is because there could be some identifying body fluids as a result of that that, that they may have matched up with some you know library of catalog of criminals that they may have had DNA matching or there could have been and and I'm not being graphic you know, was there multiple body fluids where he was, you know, assaulted and then killed? So obviously they would do a rape kit. And what I found out today from our expert, you're not going to believe this, 60% of the times that they do rape kits, they don't follow through with any Uh, additional identification they don't use the rape kit
0: that's adorable that you think that we'd be surprised by that awful statistics (laughs) yeah they sit on shelves eric they don't care
2: the way that they do them to people who are living is horrific yeah a lot of times uh it's not it's a horrific process traumatizing um, this
1: is all new to me you guys it's in your lexicon you've seen it you were at the sheriff's department liz Mandy, you have investigated this stuff for years and years. I mean, it's, it's frightening stuff to hear that you could have a rape kit test done and they don't complete the kit.
2: Well, they, I mean, in this case, it just disappeared. There's no other record of it. So we don't know. It's not just that it wasn't
0: tested. It's that we don't know where. And, this, and doesn't that sound familiar, the boat crash case, missing
2: DNA? And the other thing is, like, how did they get to that point If you are thinking that a kid is in the road and that he was hit by a car, why did anybody on that scene believe that a rape kit was necessary? Like something, something went on on that scene. And then somebody, it seems like, did not want anybody to know what was going on in that rape kit, what the results were. So that's the scary thing. And. I think that's just another piece of evidence that there, this, this investigation was so wrong.
1: How did they originally think that he was shot in the head? I mean, wouldn't there be black residue or something? They did a GSR test. I mean, w- w- what are you looking at when you're doing this stuff?
2: Well, our source um, back in 2019 has investigated a lot of deaths, was telling Liz and I that it is possible Really, really small guns. I forget, like a 22. The bullet wound is very, very narrow and tiny. And sometimes it does look kind of like a, a stab wound or a, like, and Stephen's Steven's head was like really, really messed up. So I could see why they would think that more so than a freaking hit and run because it, that was just insane. And it's crazy that it took this long for them to just come out and say this was a murder?
0: Well, the issue with the gunshot residue is is that there was no gun around Stephen's body. So you don't commit suicide and then get rid of the weapon. So that was what always struck me as odd. But the thing with the rape kit to going back to that original conversation we had in 2019 when we got the case file. Rape kits can often be performed, I guess, or sometimes performed on unattended deaths, like deaths that you don't know the cause of just to cover your bases. So it's possible that they did that when they believed it was a homicide. So remember, SLED says that immediately, you know, Highway Patrol was sent away when Stephen's body was at the medical examiner's office. Highway Patrol was officially off of it. SLED was on it now because they believe he had been shot in the head. So the rape kit, I suppose, makes sense in that context. But it will be interesting to find out. And as David has said in a message to us just now, we FOIA for the South Carolina Highway Patrol for a number of vehicular, we want to know the number of vehicular homicides where rape kits have been performed. So that's a very fair
1: question. I'm, I'm asking questions because I, I, I don't have knowledge. Who does the rape kit test? Is it done at a hospital? Where is it done?
0: Meaning like where does the, who tests for the DNA? It would go to SLED. So it depends on whether the agency has their own DNA lab, which they do in Beaufort County, but they don't in Hampton County. So that rape kit would have been sent to SLED. It? Who,
1: where is it collected?
0: The crime scene unit. So the crime scene unit is who attended his death, uh, according to the press release from Mark Keel. So they would have taken Which is that, normal. Yeah, which is normal. And they would have uh, taken that. First responders them. do that? Take um, No. So the, the, whoever attends yep. the death is who gets the, uh, evidence that's collected got off the it. body. Yeah, typically. Yeah. I'm really excited to see what happens in the next few days. It feels like a lot has happened in the last three days. So just from, uh, the moment you announced that you were taking over the case, Eric, and then within two days, now we've, we've got, uh, this information, which I, I think is just so, it gives me so much hope for the future. And, I think going back to what we were talking about earlier, just like the thing that will break this case and how it, it's just going to require one person to come forward. Is there a hotline or something that we could be saying right now? Or what should we be telling people if they know something or if they, they want to speak or if they want to get it off their
4: chest?
2: I think we need to work with SLED and, and also come up with a um, reward because I think that's another thing that'll add to the pressure. And I think that you can work with SLED to come up with like a joint hot or, or a way to share information. SLED is encouraging, and we should say this uh, for now until we get everything figured out, to call them at 803-737-9000, or tips can be submitted by email to tips at sled.se.gov. Great.
1: That's great.
0: Awesome. And then Mandy, do you want to talk a little about the GoFundMe and where that stands? Oh my
2: gosh. It's crazy. Let me refresh the page. It is at almost $104,000.
1: Oh, my goodness. Golly, man. Um,
2: That's amazing. And uh, I was talking to Sandy earlier about how when we all announce that there's going to be a reward, we're going to make sure that everybody knows that this one doesn't have a deadline.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, This is a real one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for people that might be new to this, the Murdoch family had a reward, and it came after criticism about why aren't they looking for the real killer, and it had a deadline on it. So once they finally announced it, had not very much time. I think it was, yeah, something like that. Stop too, a double too, murder
1: in 90 days. To
0: come forward. It wouldn't surprise me if Alec was, like, on the prison phone right now trying to collect that reward <laughs> I know, right yeah, like, I like, am <laughs> This is an MTEL operator calling from...
2: I got the real killers. <laughs> I know
0: who did it. <laughs> oh my
2: gosh. And then I think back to that because at the time when that reward was offered we didn't know that he was stealing money and it's like, whose money was that 100000 <laughs> one more thing to say justiceforsteven.com will direct you straight to the gofundme so if you want to and we're going to keep that going and announce more about the future plans of where exactly where all that money is going and you know all three of us are uh, big advocates of transparency and so we can promise that and we have nothing. Th- I'm I'm not touching the GoFundMe. It's yeah.
0: I was just gonna ask because I'm I'm completely in the dark about the GoFundMe, so I don't know anything about it. Is that
1: I can talk about it? Yeah, I, it is going to be in a trust account that I have opened in my law firm, an escrow account that I have to open in conjunction with notifying the bar. So the money comes into my trust account, and it has to be accounted for. You can't go out and buy lunch out of a trust account. The money is going to go to direct expenses of the exhumation costs and what the experts are going to cost, the transportation costs of Stephen's body, and then going forward with investigators. The money will not go to me. I'm not getting a legal fee from that. We are going to try to establish a separate reward, and that money will go into a separate reward fund. At the end of this, I promise you guys, if there's money left over, and there very well may be, we are going to decide with Sandy, charities that will get the money. It's not like we save the money and then at the end of the day, the rest goes to Sandy. It's all going to be transparent.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think a lot of people would be too angry about that. But just, it's not, it's not a scam. But it's funny, as you were saying a trust, I was like, in normal worlds, that's like the most trusted thing. But in the Murdoch world, you hear trust in the bar, like all of these things that went very, very wrong before, but it won't in this case. And I think that that brings us to our next subject.
0: So did you guys read the motion uh, of Alec asking for more money to fund his uh, trial (laughs) because apparently he overspent uh, his retainer by, what is it, uh, over $200,000 or something like that, Mandy? Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Well, and it (laughs) it reads just, again, just so whiny, like, and this is my money that is, what was the word? Innocent? like. He said innocent properties or something like that? Yeah, so it's
0: untainted money, uh, and he calls it innocent innocent properties. And they're citing a case. Uh, they're actually citing case law for this, uh, saying that he has the right to fund his uh, appeal. And as Justin Bamberg pointed out in sort of an epic post on Facebook and Twitter, that doesn't mean that just because you have the right to a defense doesn't mean you have a right to six to six figures I mean, <laughs> yeah. like it's unbelievable and he can get he can get in line and get a public defender like the rest of them or i don't know jim griffin seems to believe in him so why doesn't he represent him pro bono why doesn't he donate those hours
1: the same way i'm doing it for sandy just right. like now let me ask you this is this a prelude to dick and jim trying to get out because they're not getting paid the same way with it bart got out oh. is this smart to smell similar
2: seems like it. Yeah. Mandy? Yeah, I just think it's... Okay, but this is my question. I was—I asked a couple lawyers this yesterday, and I was a little confused. When you are done with trial, your obligation as an attorney to your client is over, correct?
1: If your fee agreement says it. Most criminal retainer agreements say that this, will, this money that you pay me will go through trial and filing the notice of appeal, not litigating the appeal but just filing. So I suspect that Dick and Jim as to the murder case under their fee agreement are done. Now, whether they want to be done, that's a different story.
0: This is money that they're trying to get back though for, isn't it what they've already done for work that they've already done as well?
1: Right. Right.
0: Some of those fees were very, very uh, shocking to see that it's like almost a $30,000 bill for transcripts. Is that something that's
1: that's real? No, they're expensive Uh, transcripts are very expensive. Sometimes I take a deposition for six, eight hours and it's $4,500. That, that doesn't surprise me. What does surprise me is if you're a criminal lawyer, here's the motto that you're always told, get your money up front. Because if your client is convicted and sitting in jail, the chances of you getting paid are slim and jim and slim ain't been around for a long time.
2: Interesting. Hold on though. Like, Something else as I was reading this ridiculous motion that was like, wah, wah, we want more money, we already spent it all." Wah. they they were spending twenty thousand dollars a week on just their housing and just lodging twenty thousand. So that was at least a hundred grand. Do you think they might not have been charging Alec like, for that?
1: It was six weeks. Yes. <laughs>
0: I just love that Alec charged his clients for his Hooters lunches, and Dick and Jim are now charging him for their <laughs> real full circle, you know, <laughs> luxury accommodations for salmon dinners and
2: their wedding venue. Yeah,
1: <laughs> my fee agreements under expenses you pay for transportation costs, lodging costs, travel costs. I do mile at IRS whatever 15, 58 cents a mile. I put exactly what I would charge you for under the expense portion in the fee agreement. That's what's required by the bar.
2: And they just happen to to pick a wedding venue as they're
0: launching Alex.
1: Now, I don't thing. think it's reasonable. Now, listen to me. I'm not allowed to fly first class.
0: Why Why aren't you allowed? The Who custom. That?
1: You, you fly coach. You're not allowed to stay at a Four Seasons or a Ritz-Carlton.
0: Again, who's who's allowed? You're just saying that like it's not good form. Is it in the
2: agreement?
1: It's not good form. No, you're right. It, it, it's custom and practice. But Liz, it's a very good question.
2: Because Alex, <laughs> <laughs> he took private planes, Eric. Yeah, wait. I got it. We all know the World Series story. (laughs) But (laughs) But
0: private planes, uh, he builds clients for private planes for their cases. And I get that, like, there's experts in Arkansas and experts in, you know, uh, Oklahoma, places that you need to go that maybe you just want to get in and get out, which isn't a slight on the states that I just said, but meaning that I can understand expediting
1: and wanting a private plane, but good Lord. Let me give you a little explanation. In an hourly case, When it's with Farrell Corporation and Farrell Corporation is a big company and mid-level managers or whatever, and I work for your company in the labor department, you have a labor law issue and there's a couple litigation cases. If I was to charge a private plane in my invoice to Farrell Corporation and a Ritz-Carlton hotel, the next month I would get an email that says, come see us and they would hand me my walking papers. It's in contingency cases where it's thrusted on the client at the end, where the client has no choice to stop it. Remember, it's taken place for 24, 28 months during the pendency of this product's liability case that they're working on a contingency. And at the end, when $10 million comes in at the law firm, they get their $4 million fee and then there's $2 million of expenses. The client doesn't have a chance to object. But if when I'm working by the hour and I'm submitting monthly bills, you could never get away with that.
2: Yeah, he, uh, Justin was pissed <laughs> when he read that. It was just... A lot of people on Twitter said that, like, the audacity of these guys. And again, we've seen it over and over and over and over again, and it's still not done. And the the real kicker for me was when he was like, or Dick and Jim said, and if you don't do this, basically, like, the taxpayers will have to pay for a public defender for Alex. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is appeal and it's like
1: boy that's a nice spit in the face to public defenders isn't it
0: but also they're not getting paid what dick and Jim are getting paid so it would actually yeah you know, like let's give the money to the victims and and I'm happy to ch- to chip in my dime toward Alex's
2: defense with the public defender and guess what like if he has a public defender and not dick and Jim I bet it's gonna go a lot quicker and Because, like, the trial drug out for so long because of Dick and Jim, I believe, and their power and every, and even though they weren't that great, that's a conversation for another day. But, like, the audacity is that he got a better defense than what, like, 90% of most criminals for his trial. And 99. 99, right? And he hasn't paid his victims anything at this point. And he is saying, I need more money for my appeal. And if not, the taxpayers will have to pay for it. So meh. It's just so freaking whiny. Oh, it's so whiny. Um,
0: Did you guys see before this, uh, we started recording that Emily Limehouse in the U.S. Attorney's Office filed a response to Russell Feet's motion for a second motion for a retrial, basically wanting to use... Yeah, he, remember he wants to use Alec Murdoch's testimony exonerating him, and we talked about that, I believe, in the last episode. Well, this, the government was like, "Sorry, but your boy isn't reliable," so we're not. <laughs> that response was perfect. So if you guys didn't read it, I I highly recommend you go read it because Alec has no credibility, and so for him to come and say, "I need this," his lawyers come and say, "We need this money," and to outline it and all of that, but for him to say that this is untainted money show me your books on that Alec. like i'd love to see where you've accounted for <laughs> the money that you stole is in this column and then the money that you didn't steal that you actually earned is in this other account like how did what did he do how did he how did he keep track of that he has no credibility so
1: where are his books i mean you're assuming he's got books show me your books what books liz
2: Well, that's what I'm saying. I I doubt he had, like, a little... In the meantime, you've been telling all of these victims, like, I don't have any money, so (laughs) don't come after me for that. Right. And then it's like, ooh, I have some money, but I want to use it for this.
0: We'll be right back.
4: Hi everyone, it's Rabia Chaudhry. And I'm Ellen Marsh. And we have a new podcast called Rabia and Ellen Solve Solve the Case. case. As you know, I am a very smart lawyer. You are, you're so well respected in the entire world. You know everything. Thank you so much. And as you know, I'm a famous Broadway star. Gorgeous, I sing like a nightingale. Well, at least that's what your mom says. (laughs) Just kidding. This is Ellen Marsh, and, and i Robbie Chaudhry. But we are teaming up to bring you a show like you have never heard before. True crime meets talk show. Nobody's done it. We're going to do it. We're going to do the impossible, and it's the two things that I love. Ellen, I think you like it too. What, true crime and talking? Yeah. I'm there. Every other week, we will have a guest talking about whatever true crime case they are obsessed with. We have a list, everything from... The Lacey Peterson murder. Yeah, some of the most famous cases you've ever heard of. Obviously, like John JonBenet Ramsey, the West Memphis Three. Chris Watts, Khalif Browder. Elisa Lam, Madeline McCain. Sandra Bland, the Springfield Three. The list goes on and on. But they are all cases that you know, and we are going to dive in deep with someone else and just talk about them. No. We're gonna solve the case, Ellen. That's right. We're gonna solve the case. So subscribe to Rabia and Ellen Solve the Case wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Liz, I have a question. So it's been three weeks since the verdict, and we've heard from Dick twice. We heard from him, you know, on the well of the Senate, but haven't heard too much from him. But we are hearing a lot from Jim Griffin in some different forms, and, and obviously on a lot of shows and obviously on Twitter. What do you take from that? What do you take from Dick's silence? Because he's usually not a silent man. Do you think he really took it to heart that he should just shut up and do your work in court? Was this, are his feelings hurt? Is he trying to move on? And what about Jim protesting too much what do you what do you guys take from that
0: i think there are two things one is that he's not being paid uh, as we found out from that motion so dick the money ran up so why should dick be commenting i suppose the second thing is i think that he's used to being completely adored by people in the press and that's not what's happening here and social media i love watching i mean there's even a parody account a dick harpootley parody account so People are on to him, and I, I would imagine that there's no upside to him speaking out on this. As far as Jim, we heard from Jim, was it Monday night when he was he went on TV to talk about, you know, the statement that Buster put out? So that's that's just to return real quick here, but we, on Sunday night, Eric put out a press release, right? That said there was gonna be a press conference on Monday morning at 8:30. And about an hour before the press conference, Buster Murdoch released this statement through Jim Griffin it, uh, in a TV show that night. Jim Griffin talked about how like Buster's struggling. And I no doubt like completely, uh, my heart goes out to him on that. But then he said, you know, he can't, he's having trouble finding a job. Thoughts on
2: that, Mandy? I would love to know well, where he's I applying.
1: Mean, well, there's a lot to unpackage that. Unpack the, the statement coming through Jim Griffin as opposed to his own lips and then get to the job. So unpackage that for me, Mandy.
2: Well, okay. So a couple of things. To me, it seems like a clear PR move. It was well designed and it is not at all a coincidence that it was right before your press conference, Eric. There's been four years for Buster to say something about this and a lot of people have tried to talk to him about it and he's refused. I know that all of us is hard on him, but it to do it before, I, I felt to do it right before your press conference, and it worked. I saw all the headlines, and they all, they all weren't about Stephen. A lot of them were not about Stephen Smith. They were about Buster, unfortunately. That whole thing was just really weird. And what was going on online with all of these people coming at us saying that we were the ones blaming Buster and we're the reasons why he's being harassed and... This is all, I got like, this is all your fault, Mandy, several times. And that was just all really, really weird. And it seemed to be all the part of the same machine moving. And I'm not sure what was going on, but we are going to find out because it was just, I don't know, horrible and manipulative, it seemed like. And I just want to know what's going on with Jim. Like, I just wish that he knew that there's an out and... He can take it at this point.
1: I don't recall any of us ever insinuating or accusing that Buster Murdoch had anything to do with his death. I don't know where that came from and why people would associate that with you, Mandy. I just don't know.
2: There seems to be somebody out there um, pushing a narrative, not sure who, and it seemed to be very much behind the scenes. His name coming up in the case file is different, but I don't know if it was a matter of... People just getting the highlights of the story and not understanding, and then saying we were the first to report all this, so it's all our fault. I don't know what was going on, but it seemed
1: really gross. Do you think it was in response to my press release? I I never put that two to two together.
2: I believe that they tried to hijack the headlines on Monday, so it was not about Steven. It was about Buster, and that's what happened.
0: And and you know what sucks about it is that that kind of paints us into a corner because the question I have then is like, why did they need to hijack Stephen? Why did they need to hijack the headlines? So if you have nothing to do, and I'm not saying they do, I want to make that very clear, but if somebody does not have something to do with something, somebody makes their statement earlier on, right? I mean, we're, we're now eight years almost into this, and now this is the first we're getting a statement since... I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, uh, June 2021 might have been uh, any time since then. He could have said something. But to hijack the headlines, it's very strategic. And obviously, we know they're, they're working with a public relations company that is known for a lot of different things, including this type of strategy. So why employ that kind
2: of strategy if you don't have anything to do with it? It just seemed... Like, as soon as Stephen was getting, mom- Stephen's case was getting momentum, I just noticed this huge amount of resistance online that was very weird and like nothing that I've seen before. And it felt like there was some sort of strategic operation pushing this resistance to discredit Sandy, to Discredit the GoFundMe. There was all sorts of what she buy, what she gonna use the money for. Meh meh, meh. There was just lots and lots of stress because that doesn't make any sense. What kind of human being doesn't want to know? Like, we're here for justice for Stephen, for a kid that was murdered when he was nineteen, and his mother and family still wants to know who did it. Who would be against finding that out? Uh, bad people who have secrets to hide. That's who. We got to figure that out.
1: Could it have been a result, not so much of my press release, but that comment that somebody screamed out when Alex was being carted away in cuffs, you know, justice next for Stephen Smith. Could that have been the catalyst? What do you think, guys? I don't know.
2: I really think it was the momentum that was in the last couple of weeks that was moving to Stephen. I think that that really intimidated really bad people and got them scared and shaking, as it should, because money talks in cases like this. And these evil people, I'm sure, know that. And the more money that you have, the more likely that you're going to get to the bottom of the truth. And that's extremely unfortunate. And I hate that, but...
0: It's kind of a fighting fire with fire situation, right, Mandy? It's like money gets you out of it. Well, money's going to get you into it. Like if if you can use your money or your position of power and influence to avoid the consequences of some serious behavior, then there should be a counter uh, initiative to that or something that exists in opposition to that. So, using money to find out who did something, who should be held uh, accountable, is, is no different, in my opinion. It's just the same. It's it, it just meaning that I guess what's good for the goose is good for the gander, is what I'm trying to say. If you can use your money to get out of trouble, then certainly victims can use the money that they uh, either raise through fundraisers like this or naturally have to get answers. Speaking of victims and money and uh, where this money is coming from uh, for the victims of Alec Murdoch, who uh, had their money stolen from them. Part of the trust that is uh, Maggie's estate is staying with Buster, obviously, but most of it is going to uh, the Beach family and other clients of Mark Tinsley. And tonight at four o'clock, there was an auction in Georgia. It's a, it's a well-known uh, auction house, and it's really not that far from Hampton County. It's like I looked it up and it's west of Savannah. They put a couple, I think it was almost 200 photos up on Facebook showing, showing pieces of Moselle that are up for auction. So it seems like we had this six-week trial. The very last day, we have this field trip where they go to the jury is brought to Moselle. They see a bike in the front yard. They see a, somehow a shirt in the window. They see a chicken toy in one of the kennels. Uh, obviously, someone staged it like it was a, a showing of a house.
2: The buster pot. Don't forget the Buster Christmas. Oh, the Buster
0: snowman. bot! I forgot of the Christmas snowman Buster bot with the, no pollen on it. Right, with no pollen. Very clearly, this had been staged, and just as soon as Alec gets his sentencing, now we see that uh, uh, the contents of Moselle, the sale of Moselle is going through. The contents of Moselle are now up for auction, and, and I know that he probably like obviously Alec doesn't need those couches and and all of that. So maybe they were holding on to them in the hopes that he was able to get out of this. But that money raised from the auction is going to go to the Beach family and uh, Miley Altman and Morgan Downey, the clients of uh, the, the boat crash victims. Did you
2: guys, was there anything that you were tempted to purchase from this auction? Well, wait, can we pause for a second? How, we know for sure that the, I was wondering, that money for sure goes to the victims. Yes. Does any of it go to Buster and the... Yeah,
0: Buster gets 500. So uh, the agreement was already made that there's, uh, fi- I think it's about 500, 550 that will go to Buster of Maggie's more than four or five million. So that that's, that's already in set and stone. This money is from the house and it goes into her estate, right? So her estate is worth around between four and $5 million, let's say. This is part of the estate. So this is the valuation of that. So... Buster gets his five hundred thousand dollars, whatever they collect, right? That's already pre-agreed. That's it. But he doesn't get more from them. The con- there's a contract in place that says he just gets five hundred thousand, whatever it is, five hundred and something thousand. But Mandy, I mean, obviously, I think you would want the monogram pillows. No, the turtle lamps. <laughs> oh, I forgot about the turtle lamps.
2: Uh, no, absolutely not. I like. I'm a big believer in energy and things having I mean, good and bad juju, and. I want nothing to do with anything that went near Alex Murdoch. No. Like
1: I don't want that karma. No, sir.
2: Heck no. Yeah. I mean, I would I think the weirdest thing though was the popcorn that had left the popcorn machine that had leftover popcorn in it, like they all just abandoned the place and wanted Blanca to clean it up probably. But like, ew, old popcorn from the mur who was gonna buy the
0: I don't, there are people. I mean, this is the the conundrum though, but you know, it's a hard one because the money goes to the estate and the more money the estate has, the more money can go to the victims. So it's, it's a really hard one because it, it is grim. I was reading some of the comments on Facebook. There was a Halloween decoration. Did you guys see it? It was a skull and people in the comments. Oh, I don't even want to say what they said. But, yeah, you probably want to stay away from having a skull as part of it. But, (sighs) (laughs) this I mean, it never stops, right? I mean, it's just always like there's – it's not that you have the murder trial and then it's just like you get some time off. Now there's some shenanigans with like seeing – just this gross murder house the contents of a murder house that's like the worst
2: decorating decorated murder house that you could ever possibly imagine
1: like you know it's a it's a jack-o'-lantern
2: books too that's surprising really (laughs) (laughs) the moselle sale one more thing i wanted to say about that i'm really glad that it's going to victims and I'm glad I'm glad that they honestly waited for it cuz the price of everything had to have gone up, right? That's a really good point from the trial. Like the trial like Yeah,
1: what did they raise? Do we know?
2: I don't know. I'm ex- I'm eager to find out. I've been seeing screenshots of it all day and like I don't want to be anywhere near it. It creeps me out. But was there a line? Did people were people lined up for it? it? Probably.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Well, did you see the BB&T bank bag that was like for cash? Did you see that on no. one
1: of the, in one of the oh lots? Oh, my
2: gosh. Yeah. Somebody get that for Eric. <laughs> What's, going yeah, What's
1: going on with the the um, misdemeanor charge for, you know, the transfer of the material at the trial? It's There's going to
0: be a trial. John Grisham is going to be a witness. <laughs> uh, let's reiterate, Mandy, if you could. Can you let people know again how they can help uh, with the Justice for Stephen initiative and where they should go if they have information that they want to share? and probably I would just like to add that if you have information to share maybe just make it the information that you actually know and not the information that your is your theory. Yes. I wouldn't share like please don't share a theory. don't clog up the line with theories and what ifs. If you've heard something related to it directly from somebody who would have knowledge definitely call but Let's not clog it up.
2: Right. And that goes for our inboxes too. A lot of people don't understand the difference between a th- tip and a theory. And there's a huge
1: difference. Like, Yes, there is. I, I, get, I get a lot of theories.
2: Right. I, I get theories all the time. And I get people wanting me to call them and saying I have information and it's just a theory. And it's like, that doesn't help. And you're just wasting everybody's time. So... Information, either that, you know, first, secondhand, anything that investigators should know about not only who killed Stephen, but what happened in the investigation. I urge everyone to contact SLED at the SLED tip line 803-737-9000 or tips at sled.se.gov. You can send an email there and the other thing is justiceforsteven.com is up and running and we will put announcements on that. But yeah, all, all of us will be pushing all of that information out um, going forward. And I greatly encourage everybody to donate at justiceforsteven.com that GoFundMe could be the key to all of this. and I cannot wait to um, figure out the reward and announce that and not have a deadline on it.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Mandy. Well, Eric, I, I hope you're feeling better. i when I put my cups down. It's going to be with best wishes for your knee. I'm sorry that you're still in pain and that it's it's a hard one. So cups down for you. You seem a little better today.
1: Yeah, modern medicine is wonderful, Mandy.
2: Cups down, to everybody. Cups down. Cups down, guys.
3: This Cup of Justice episode is created and hosted by me, Mandy Matney, with co-host Liz Farrell,
2: our executive editor, and Eric Bland, attorney at law, a.k.a. the Jackhammer of justice.
1: From Luna Shark Productions. <laughs>